Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to History Voyager. There are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. It truly does mean a lot to me. This podcast is with a fellow named Sam Urban, who lives in New England. Um, he used to be a teacher, and we talk about his podcast, but mainly the main conversation we have is about education and how the state of education in this country is essentially in crisis. And what are we going to do with it? Now, there are, there is something you need to know, I suppose. I'm going to pull the curtain back just a little bit. This podcast was recorded many months ago. So you need to situate it in time as something happening right after I recorded the episode on the Permian Basin. But I'm releasing it now. So that's that's what we're talking about. That's the, the things we're talking about. Also, I just wanted to say that, first of all, this podcast is rated Not Safe for Work. And we do talk about my anonymous teacher episodes, but we don't bring up by name any of the people um, uh, that were brave enough to come on my show and tell me what was going on with their uh, their professional lives. And I really do respect that. And I, I really do think that's really, really important um, for me to get the word out because I don't think people understand uh, that don't have children or that don't uh, interface at some point with the school systems in this country, how in crisis the education system in our nation really, really is. Anyway, um, I just wanted to say thanks, and uh, thanks for listening. And by the way, Sam has a good podcast that I listen to called The Illegitimate Scholar, and... At some point in the non-too-distant future, I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode to his podcast. But um, anyway, folks, thanks for listening and have a wonderful day. See you on the flip side. Hi, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with you go by Samuel or Sam. I go by either one. I, I guess I prefer Samuel, but, you know, most people just say Sam anyway, okay. and I'm okay with that. I'm here with Sam Urban, and he has, what's the name of your podcast, your overall podcast? What's the name of it? Uh, the Illegitimate Scholar, and I will, I'll, I'll yeah. send you a, a link to that, so hopefully you can put it in the description yeah. of this episode, but The Illegitimate heard, Scholar. I've heard two episodes. Um I heard the one about the philosophy of Native Americans, and that's originally what you pitched me that you wanted to talk about. And then mm -hmm. you had this episode on the – I was coming home the other day, and you had this episode on um, education. And, of course, I have these all these podcasts about um, – from anonymous teachers. And you're – okay, like we're pretty much on opposite ends of the spectrum politically. Not Maybe not opposite, but – I'm probably a bit more to the left than you, mm. but we I have can, something to say on that one. Yeah, we can pretty much agree. You and me can pretty much agree on the fact that the 
American education system is totally in crisis and we need to fix it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, that's almost universal. Uh, you know, the, the next episode that I'm going into yeah. uh, on my podcast is going to be about what people really think about the public education system. And it's really like, it's almost, even almost all most Democrats don't mm. think it's going in the right direction. Well, I mean, if you just leave aside the politics, if you leave the politics out of it and you just think about here's a child or here's a young person, let's get this young person educated to do something in this world. Okay, how do we do that? Right. Right. And what even does that mean? And what exactly? And what even does that mean? And I had a guest and we weren't even going to talk about this in his episode but i the last episode i put out he talked about how his children are being told oh you don't need to go to college you you just need this amount of education to do that and that's what you need to do and i'm just like that's wrong like that's wrong to tell that to people Hmm. (laughs) you know you know i mean mean, i i guess it i I think it really does depend on where I'm like, where they plan on going. You know, I, I, I think I'm pretty critical of the college first approach, you know, out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps and uh, that was great for me. I I don't think my my guidance counselor, I'm from Connecticut. It's very education heavy. My guidance counselor was really encouraging me to go to college, but you know, it it wouldn't have been right for me at the time. So, yeah, you know, I, I do think that there are, especially right now with the amount of college degrees that we're producing, it's a different thing than it was 30 years ago. You know, it's, it's, you don't have as much bargaining power with a college degree. But see, I think it's more along. Okay. I look at it like, like this, maybe we're going to disagree here, but I look at it like this. Our education system for better or worse, richer or poor was set up the way it was set up. We ended up putting wisdom behind paywalls and that's not good for society, right? right. No, I, I'd, I'd say I agree. Do, do you mean like access to journals and everything? Well, yeah, journals, but also like, okay, I'll give you an example. When I was in college, I learned about the tulip bubble, right? Right. I even One of my favorite a, stories. I even wrote a paper on the tulip bubble. Mm-hmm. One of the podcasts that I'm going to release eventually is something my little sister calls the Flower Podcast, which is about the Tulip Bubble. I haven't recorded it yet, or I recorded an episode, but okay, I'm going to re-record it. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. But let me zoom to the present. All right. So because I know about the Tulip Bubble, I'm looking at Bitcoin, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no. You know, you know what I'm saying. Right, right. I mean, it, there are comparisons to be made, but well, I, I think that Bitcoin might have a little bit more utility than uh, tulips. Than tulips. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but also, like then I remember reading the Constitution because in one of my, and actually several of my college classes, I read the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the Constitution, I had to look this up for a podcast I did. But somewhere in the Constitution, it says Congress is going to get into the money, like uh, designate the currency of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the Commerce Clause. Exactly. Right. That's it. I just don't remember the chapter and verse right now. But <laughs> yeah. 
But I read that. And I remembered that. And I was like, I just don't miss me with the Bitcoin. Okay. Just, that's not. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're talking about tulips, I'd say, you know, the U.S. dollar at this point might be becoming more like a tulip than Bitcoin is, especially given the, the massive market cap that it has. And, you know, yeah. it's funny we're having this conversation today while, um, you know, that one bank was bailed out on Friday and, mm. uh, and, uh, right. What's it called? Credit Suisse is actually down 22% uh, today right now mm. as uh, their stock is inflated. So I, I would say that more so than, than Bitcoin, I mean, you know, Bitcoin, we can, we can say whatever they, we want, but you know, the derivatives market based on uh, the derivatives market is, insanely inflated you know this is what happened in 2008 that was mm. tulips and mm. unfortunately we might be in the same a similar situation i haven't gone into this too much in my show but one of my main focuses mm. in history is economic history it's my favorite well okay so what you had a take on education um that i just really wanted to talk about so let's let's dig into it and let me let me ask you a question because the way you describe it, you pulled out this quote that I found was fascinating where like they're literally designing some Rockefeller person was literally designing this for, for workers, for factory workers. And, and that was in the forties or was it, when was that? Um, so John D Rockefeller senior founded an organization, a tax exempt organization called mm -hmm. the general education board which was okay. um, for the explicit purpose of educating people in the United States. That, that was the stated purpose, mm. but there are other things that mm. explain the more nefarious purposes of it. Okay. You want me to go into it? No, please. That's why you're yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'm going to give a quick, quick history of public education in the U S to, uh, okay. to, to give some background. So, you know, public uh -huh. education, I'm from new England. Um, I live in Connecticut. Uh, the first public schools in the United States or what became the United States, uh, they were in Connecticut, the Connecticut colony and in uh, the Massachusetts Bay colony. Right. And these were in the 1630s. Uh, they, it was very important for them to have everyone educated at, at that point. And this was because they were all Puritan and mm. they needed people to read the Bible. Mm. So, uh, so they, they had public, public education. And even mm. since then, the culture is, is there. New England leads uh, the nation in public education. So in the 17th century, that's what it is. The 18th century, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it kind of stays the same way. Other places mm -hmm. in what became the United States, other colonies, they don't uh, do as education as much. Um, they're not as quick to, to start it. But in the 19th century, Connecticut and New England, they adopt a more standardized system. And this system um, is uh, common schools and Norman school, normal schools. And the common schools that are mm -hmm. described in, um, that are, um, that are described in the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, they start to become universal across the country as Connecticut and Massachusetts start them first. And these are based on the Prussian model of education. Um, mm -hmm. So Prussia, of mm -hmm. course, being the 18th century state that later is the main unifier of what became Germany. Yeah. So, um, but what we're really going to talk about, what what everything I was talking about concentrated on was the progressive era in this, mm -hmm. in the Gilded Era between about 1890 
and uh, the 1940s. In, okay. uh, and this is when education changes. Education, the old system is explicitly done away with, and the new system is created, and it includes universal high school, which didn't exist before. In uh, 17, or um, excuse me, in mm. 1890, only 10% of 14 mm. to 17-year-olds went to high school. In 1940, it was 70%. Okay. And these, these changes in education, it coincides with not only uh, secondary school becoming universal, it also coincides with uh, prior schooling being changed forever. Um, so that's where we land with John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and who I didn't talk about, but uh, Henry Ford. Right. So in 1902, John D. Mm -hmm. Rockefeller creates the General Education Board. Um, at the time, mm -hmm. he funded it with a first $1 million. In today's money, that's in the tens of millions. Uh, later, in today's dollars, over the next 40, 50 years, he funds it to the tune of billions of dollars. Carnegie founds the Carnegie. Hang on. Yep. That's billions of dollars in today's money or billions of dollars back then? Billions of dollars in today's money. Okay. Inflation. Yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, that would have been possible back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, billions of dollars in today's money, you know. Okay. Um, so Carnegie founds his in 1905. And what happens is that these organizations completely take over education in the United States. They completely mm -hmm. change the system. They do this through um, funding a bunch of uh, funding a bunch of individual uh, teachers, they, they fund local colleges and force them to change their curriculum because they're funding them and they have the leverage because they won't fund the organization if they don't change to do things their way. And what, uh, overall, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, no, no, but no, overall, what, what did they change it into the colleges? So it's not, it's not just colleges. It's, it's, uh, universities, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's colleges, universities. It's also regular everyday schools. So like you mean high schools or like high schools, elementary schools, middle schools, junior high, whatever they called them back then. You okay, know? sure, sure. Yeah. So the changes yeah. that they make, um, they change education into the regimented uh, standards that we have today. So, so they these people mm -hmm. they introduce things like standardized tests. Mm -hmm. They introduce uh, standardized classrooms and classes. They introduce things like bells between changing classes. Mm -hmm. They introduce mm -hmm. like regimented lunchtime. They introduce like all these things. Essentially, they make them they they make them comparable to the factory work that a lot of these people are going to uh, to go into later in life. Okay. And this was with the explicit purpose of preparing these people to be workers for the, uh, the economic giants, uh, of the time. Okay. Can I and read you, one of these? You, had, Go you ahead. had said in the podcast, I, I can't remember if you said this in the podcast or if I just know this because I know things. <laughs> um, but this was to create, docile workers basically right right so okay. um yes so the word docile was actually uh, part of a quote okay that's um yeah. yeah all right let me i'm not saying you're wrong because i don't think you are but let me just juxtapose this with some stuff i know from my own life okay absolutely 
Um, I went to a public high school in a major metro area, albeit in the south. Okay, but don't hit me with you went to a private high school because I didn't. I went to a public high school. Of course. My biology teacher in ninth grade had a PhD. I don't know how he was there. I don't know how he ended up in front of those ninth graders. Okay. Right. <laughs> but he was an, el- when I had him, he was an elderly man. He had somehow kept up with, I guess he must have read the, the journals at home or something on the weekends because he kept up with the, the thinking of the time of the day. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I distinctly remember him as an adult. I find this fascinating. He, every time he talked about evolution, he would close the door <laughs> and then he would be talking. Right. Yeah. I distinctly remember when I went to college, I knew way more about evolution than the people I was in college with, at least until they started their biology program. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I distinctly remember that. And when I did my podcast on COVID, the whole reason, like a lot of the background stuff or the back the tools I used to, let me go back and look at these journals and let me go to Singapore like online and look at the Singapore health department or whatever they call it. Yeah. And they were publishing stuff. And so let me look at that. Let me look at the CDC used to do it. But a lot of those tools that I used in my head were from him. Okay. So, and he was, edu- he was clearly educated, you know, in the forties. So, right even though the goal was to make docile workers, some people slip through the cracks. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, so I, I'm, I'm a certified teacher technically. I mean, I could go into a school and, and teach what I'm teaching, mm-hmm. but like your biology teacher, I would be limited by the system. So, you know, what, what you're describing yeah. is, is somebody who is, who has yeah. to, he had to close the door because he was not doing what he was supposed to. He was going against what the system had created for him, right? So he was well, he was breaking we, the rules. Well, it was in the bio he this is what I remember. It was in the biology textbook mm-hmm. which was purchased by the county, right? Right. But I went to I went to high school during the um when I was in high school there was a whole big push towards we need to get evolution out of biology, which is hilarious even to say out loud. Yeah, really? <laughs> but, and, but I don't, I, I don't know what the thought on that is now politically, but, you know. I don't think it's even a conversation anymore. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Honestly. I certainly, I certainly haven't heard anyone really bring it up recently. But I mean, I distinctly remember like he would, he went into it like he went way into it and in depth and it was a really it, i mean it must have made an impact cuz i still remember it and he taught at that school for ages mm-hmm. and it's just amazing the the pathologists and all the, like all the different medical and health people and science people that came out of his classroom over the years yeah it's just astonishing to look yeah um and- 
and that's reflective not of the institution itself, like the system. It's reflective of of that individual, and, right? You know, like Mr. Holland's opus, but for real, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they they didn't incent like if the system were incentivizing somebody to teach like that and to teach in a way that creates these scientists. Yeah. I mean, then it would be better off. But it's like. You know, I, yeah. I went to a public school in New England, in Connecticut, and we have yeah. like by any metric that they have, we have very, very good public schools. Right. Like like mm. people go on and they become um, and they become, you know, in professors and whatever from yeah. my high school. You know, I went to a, a middle to upper middle class public school in Connecticut. Very good school mm. by any metric. But that doesn't mean that the system as a whole wasn't created. um not for that. And of course, you know, right. people are, are going to, to slip through the cracks, but the system that these men created, it doesn't need everybody that goes through this to become a factory worker. They just need a certain percent. Remember, I mean, even in 1890, right. 10% of, uh, of right. 14 to 17 year olds are going to high school. Still probably 10% right. of people that go to public school go on to become, you know, professionals, but that doesn't mean that most of them are not being prepared for something else. Right. Yeah. You want me to read this, uh, this quote? Um, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. So this, this quote that the one that includes docile, this is by Frederick T Gates. Mm -hmm. He was a business advisor to John D Rockefeller senior, and he ran the general education board. Um, and he said this in 1913, uh, and it, this was written down in like the the plan for uh, for education, for changing these schools, like in creating these schools. Mm. In our dream, we have limitless resources, and the people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hand. The present mm. educational conventions fade from our minds, and unhampered by tradition, we work our own goodwill upon a grateful and responsive rural folk. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or of science. We are not to raise up among them authors, orators, poets, or men of letters. We shall not search for embryo great artists, painters, musicians, nor will we cherish even the humbler ambition to raise up from among them lawyers, doctors, preachers, statesmen, of whom we now have ample supply. Okay. So that, I mean, that's laid out in the um in like the uh, one of the defining documents of this organization which then goes on mm -hmm. to fund in to the tune of billions of dollars in today's money uh the the new education educational system and the shift that goes on in it so what happened obviously the cold war happened and that's why we needed um scientists and stuff and stuff and so, like, the Cold War led to a – World War II and the Cold War led to a big public expansion of education. And that's how you have, you know, scholars and the modern scholar and things like that. Uh, right. So, I, I mean, even in 1940, prior to the Cold War, 70% mm -hmm. of 14 to 17-year-olds are, are going to high school. So it's – this shift does happen uh, mostly mm. beforehand. And then, mm. I, you know, I'm sure there are changes made in the cold war, but and also uh, world war two, let's not forget world war two. Right. Right. I mean, the numbers go down the numbers of high schoolers after 1940, they, they go down for a few years because 
you know, a lot of these guys are, are dropping out of high school and they're joining, joining the, uh, the military yeah. to fight in world war two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not true for everybody. It's not true for all of the people that go to public schools, but like, I don't, I was very recently in teaching a, uh, teaching a few different classes at a high school mm-hmm. for my, for my mm-hmm. student teaching. Yeah. And I had an honors class and I had a standard class and okay. the, the content that you teach to an honors student is mm. so much different. And even the way that you run the classroom is so much different from one of these standard, one of the standard kids. Can you, and, okay. can you dive into that? I want people to hear this. Yeah. So, you know, I had, I was teaching, um, world history two, which is like mm. Renaissance to, uh, Renaissance to like the 1800s or like it's, it's, uh, it's like the fall of Constantinople to like, to like the 1800s. Um, and I was yeah. teaching that to an honors class and the content that I was teaching and the types of, um, and the types of assignments I was giving them were very, very, uh, they, they were critically thinking based. Whereas mm-hmm. the content that I was teaching to, um, it, it was freshman world history too. So it was freshmen that were honors mm-hmm. and then standard for, um, for sophomores and the standard sophomore kids, the, the content that I had to give them was a lot more regimented. I had a lot more leeway with the honors kids and I really taught mm-hmm. a government class to them. And in that government class, I kind of just taught them the structure of our government. I didn't teach them very much about, you know, how to engage with that material. I didn't, you know, I I was regimented in what classes, what concepts I had to teach. I wanted, I I didn't even have time to do like campaign financing. So I I taught these kids a government class where I just kind of taught them what the branches of the government were. Like it, it didn't feel like I was teaching them very much of anything. Um, and I mean that this, this type of regimentation where you're taking kids and you're, and I'm not saying it's not good to put kids in different levels, but it's clear that the kids in certain levels of schooling are being taught for a different purpose or a different end than the, um, uh, than the kids in the higher level classes. And you can see that with where these kids end up going afterwards, whether it be like, you know, in Connecticut, still a lot of them go to college, but they might not be going to some of these Northeastern prime, um, Northeastern private schools that a lot of these uh, rich kids in Connecticut are going to, they, they might be going to a community college or, you know, in Connecticut, University of Connecticut, it's a really good school in itself. So they might not yeah. even be going there. They're going to one of the regional schools or a community college. I mean, to me, like as an adult, you know, I don't care if the guy down the street doesn't know what I know about the Carolingians or, or whatever, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me. And I don't really care, no offense to anybody, but I don't really care if he knows about what happened to Tulsa, the Tulsa race riots. But I'd like him to have some sort of notion of what I call the past. <laughs> yeah. Right? That roughly jibes with what we're going to call reality. Right. right? Like, <laughs> and to me, like, it's just mind-boggling the the lack of history understanding, not even education, just understanding 
among people in the Generation X and Millennial generation is just, I mean, buddy. Yeah, it's bad. And, you know, I can actually speak to that a little bit. And Please um, do. So the uh, so what I was discussing before, the standardization of tests, I mean, standardized tests, they come mm. out of this early era in the early 20th century, and they've expanded since then. In the past 20, 30 years have seen these standardized tests, these federal standardized tests like the SATs, uh, the original organization that created the SATs and uh, the GRE, the MCAT. They're all funded by these same organizations or these organi- or organizations that do it today have their roots in other organizations that then merged. Like the uh, Educational Testing Service founded in 1953, that's the one that, uh, that they still certify teachers. But it was formed through these organizations that were funded by the Rockefellers and Carnegies. Mm. Um, so today, like the and the standardized tests is a way of uh, judging production very similarly to the factory model. So that I mean, that's what it's based off, and it's explicitly right. said in that. Um, but in those standardized tests, the reason that you don't see as much social studies content, as much history content, is because these standardized tests, which is what teachers have to teach to, they have to teach to these standardized tests because that's how they're judged for funding and all these important things, how schools are, are ranked. And these are important for, for administrators to keep their jobs. So they have to teach to these standardized tests. Right. Those, um, those standardized tests, they don't test history. They do reading and writing and math. When so okay. what ends... I yeah. thought I had a memory come rushing back to me. Okay, mm-hmm. today. The memory was that in my state, in my county, I was normally you would take history in 11th grade, right? American history in 11th grade. Um, yeah, I don't know if they do it like that in Connecticut, but. In my, in my state, in my county. Yeah. No, I think I, we did. I think we did. Where I, where I was from. I did not take American history in 11th grade. So I had to take the book. Somebody, a teacher, gave me a book, and I had to take it home, and I read the book. I remember reading the American history book to take the standardized test that I had to take in 11th grade. Mm -hmm. Right? And then when I was in 12th grade, I actually took the American history course. Right? Yeah. I remember that now. Mm -hmm. So it changed. There was a change where we're going to take history off the standardized test. Yeah. I mean, so I think each state has their own standardized test. So it's possible that some other states have have history on it. But Connecticut doesn't. And I don't know of any other state that does. I know that I don't think Georgia does. I think Georgia used to. I think a lot of states used to. I think they've been Um, removed. Yeah. And I think that was either a plan or a mistake. (laughs) <laughs> right right i mean yeah, yeah. either way um, um i'm not a conspiracy theorist yeah. by the way feature or bug. a plan <laughs> or yeah. a total mistake yeah um you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to notice like the billions of dollars that these organizations are funding into yeah. and, right. and when they say like they fund the education system for billions of dollars and they're quoted as saying what they want to do. I mean, that's not a conspiracy theory. People will try right. to point it as being yeah. one, but like, I got it right. right here, you know? When, you, when you've when you got adults out there, when you've got people in their 30s that don't, for example, know that um, 
what was it somebody was telling me about the Nazi, like something about World War II with the Nazis that's super fundamental. And like, they didn't know that. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Jesus, God. I, I remember I was a, a senior in high school and there was a there was a girl in my class who was like near the top of the class. She was going to college at some private elite college and mm. she did not know what the Korean War was. I thought she was kidding. I, I thought she was making up. I'm like, you, how do you know? 35,000 Americans died. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like, I mean, look, I get it. I get that what you're trying to do is educate people for the workforce. I understand that, but you're going to have to give people some kind of notion of the past, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, like, or even just the philosophical tools to interrogate things and to see like this leads into that, which causes this. Right. So right? it's, it's, <laughs> it feels intentional to me, even the way that they do address certain uh, mm -hmm. civil rights leaders for, for mm -hmm. example, like, you know, I, I like to give the example of uh, Malcolm X and mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. Because you know, in schools across the country, they give a very, very, um, uh, you know, they give a, they discuss Malcolm X and Martin Luther mm. King Jr., but they do it in a way where they don't talk about the more extreme elements of Malcolm X, who, for, among other things, was extraordinarily anti-Semitic and um, had meetings with Nazis and shared, you know, he shared, uh, uh, shared, like ideas with them they they, I, they liked each other i'll tell you the truth honest to god i'll tell you the truth i grew up within an easy drive of the national historic site that has been made out of uh martin luther king jr's boyhood home mm -hmm. i grew up within an easy drive of several different places where he either gave a famous speech or was a pastor or whatever and some of that stuff has become, rightly, I think, a national historical landmark. Yeah. I had to learn about Malcolm X's existence from the hallway in my high school. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, I, I remember learning about Malcolm X, but I learned about him as, like, they just kind of said he, they, they talk about him. They don't mm. talk about the civil rights leader who was a gay guy. I literally forget his name. I, didn't I, learn I forget him. his name, and I didn't right. know he was that important until I had to learn that from Facebook. And then, and then, mm -hmm. I mean, okay. And then I went to the library and read about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously, like they, they, I, they never told yeah. us about that guy, presumably because he was gay. I didn't learn until college. I did exactly. Um, so, like, they tell you what they want you to know, and what they also don't tell you is like. What they don't say about Martin Luther King Jr., they talk about his advancement for black people's stuff. But what they don't tell you is that he had a lot of Marxist leanings, that he was, you know, economically, mm -hmm. he he believed um, he, he had a lot of Marxist ideas. And they also don't tell you that he wasn't killed until he started espousing these Marxist ideas more. Mm -hmm. um, right. So like. When I look right. at something like that and I look at them not discussing these these aspects of these individuals, they show you what aspects they want. 
um, of these individuals. They don't and, show you the aspects they don't want you to know about. And because I'm, I bet you, I know something that you don't. I would love to hear it, honestly. Because I'm from Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. I learned that just not from the the school, but from the world. I learned that there was a man who probably was put up by other people to kill Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And that basically it wasn't until decades later that he was even arrested. But I actually learned from people like from much, much older people that, Hey, look, this guy didn't have the resources to go do what he did after he assassinated Martin Luther King. Mm. And he, that just happened. He just magically went there and magically avoided capture for eons. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that right. was magic. <laughs> he was funded by somebody, right? Like FBI, CIA, yeah. some yeah. other organization, whatever well, it is. And they didn't know at the time or they wouldn't tell me, but, you know, but and then later, you know, you, you see that on the news and it's just like, wow, you know, or. And here's something else, like, I don't know if my high school was different or weird or whatever, but. I distinctly remember learning about the Tulsa race riots in a classroom from a teacher. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that, and I didn't that, learn about those until after high school. And that teacher was white, by the way. Wow. That teacher That's was awesome. a white person. I distinctly remember that. I have a very, very distinct memory of this teacher teaching this. Hmm. Um, and That's awesome. The, that, that's terrific that they were doing that back then. Well, I, maybe I went to a weird high school. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I didn't learn about the Tulsa race riots until after high school. Yeah. You know, they, they never um, told me about it. But we, we did learn about things. We learned about racism, you know, um, but we didn't, I mean, I, didn't learn about that. Yeah. I had the I busted out a ram, so to speak, until I saw on Facebook. Well, I didn't learn about it. I was like, yeah, we did. We went to high school together. We totally. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've had that happen too. But you know, they might not have been in the same class as you. You know, it, it's possible that they're not teaching certain things to certain levels, which goes back to what we were talking about yeah. before. Yeah. So now that we're all, let me ask you this, uh, Sam. Mm-hmm. So now that we're all post Cold War, uh, assuming however the the war in Ukraine goes, yeah, we're, we're post Cold War for sure. How are we going to get public education back on track or back? Because it was on track for a while. Well, I mean, I think right now Uh um, what it essentially requires is another overhaul of the system, right? So the, the system in the 18th century the, the Prussian system is based on the world of the 18th and into the 19th century. Uh, the new system that was created, the public education system with Can you the, talk about, you've said that a lot. Can you talk about what the Prussian system was or some of the characteristics of it? Honestly, I, I don't, I, I am not as informed on that one. It, I, okay. I know, I know that the system at that time, the common schools were based on the Prussian system. I, I don't know a lot of details of it. All right. So, okay, fine. That's fair enough. So the, the thing after that was the factory system, and now we're going to have to have the information economy. Right. So so 
you know, the, yeah. the factory based system, the system that we had forever was honestly the, it was based on factories, but most people were working in factories back then. So maybe it was for a good, a good reason. You know, it's maybe not the best for the low level workers, but it's, it was a system that made sense given the world that people were being prepared for. But now we still have a system like that. People are still in individual classes and there there's bells to separate learning and the learning is based on standardized tests. And this doesn't really work anymore. So it requires another overhaul of the system as the information age becomes more in our lives, just like industrialization required a new system, right? So the problem is that now, just like, you know, not to go too far off topic, but as an example, you know, we talk about the military industrial complex Mm -hmm. after World War I and World War II, the military industrial complex had become so specialized that it was an industry that advocated for itself. Mm -hmm. So it was an industry that existed Um, That was a problem because uh, these were people who had jobs that Mm -hmm. had companies based on the defense industry. They they couldn't change the factory to produce something else anymore because they were too specialized. In the same way, there is a multi-trillion dollar industry that um, multi-billion, like uh, maybe not multi-trillion, but there's a multi-billion dollar industry in education. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of money to be made. These organizations still exist. There's the National Education Association, which is the largest union in the country, which is going to advocate for continuing public education, even while the system is no longer serving what we have. But what you might be aware of is uh, the increase in school choice in the United Mm -hmm. States. And um, what that does, at the very least, is when there are when a parent or a student can make the choice of what type of high school they go to, where all these different high schools mm-hmm. serve different purposes, charter schools that um, that specialize in a certain thing, uh, vouchers for other private schools. People can uh, people can choose what they want their education to be, and hopefully this will turn out into something that's a better system. I know a lot of people are very critical of that, but that seems like the only change that's occurring right now. I don't know what would be perfect to fix it, the but I thing, so go let ahead. Me, let me tell you. Um, one of the reasons I I started this. Let me. I don't know if you've heard me say this into the internet. I know I've said this exact story into the internet. Mm-hmm. You're gonna hear it now. <laughs> okay. The reason I started doing these anonymous teacher podcasts is because it became apparent to me through talking to podcasters, a lot of whom are teachers, mm-hmm. in their day job, that they spend their daytime disciplining people. Right. And they want to teach, so what do they do? They start a podcast. Yeah. Exactly. And I just wanted to tell people. like I just wanted to, to, to show the world, this is a problem. And right. we need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we need to remove as much as possible all the political finger pointing and ideology and be like, look, at the end of the day, does it matter who the path- if the pathologist is an R or a D? Does it matter if the doctor, you know, when you're having the heart attack, do you care that the doctor is a Democrat or Republican? <laughs> I don't think so. 
Honestly, I mean, honest to God, I mean, that's what we're talking about here is the future employees of this country are, are kids in high school and middle school. And, and we got to fix this. Yeah. We've got yeah. to. Seriously. Um, it's, it's glorified babysitting is, is what it is. And that's, there was a teacher specifically who came on my show that the podcast is called candy for not hitting people. <laughs> and she goes into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, it's with the new administrations. I, I remember mm. I, I was uh, my second assignment. Um, I was at a school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a school in, uh, in a nearby uh, suburb. Mm-hmm. It was a, a suburb, you know, it was a pretty diverse population. It wasn't all black or all white or all Hispanic. It was a very mixed uh, black, white and Hispanic school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I'm only giving that for like the context of like, this is not like an inner city school where there's like violence. This isn't like a completely mm-hmm. like suburban yeah. where the kid's parents are going to sue you or anything. It's just a, it's a normal suburban school. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I was leaving one day and there was, there was two students, a, a young boy and a young girl, both about 14 who were standing in the doorway of a classroom. And mm. one of them was talking about beating the shit. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're. Oh, I'm ready to not say for work. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, he's, beating he's, up people, sure. beating up people. Yeah. He was talking about beating up somebody. And mm. I was, I was walking by and all I said was, let's not do that. And, um, like, I don't even stop walking and the kid goes, who the F is that? And I come back, I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Who am I? Like, you're, you're in the hallway talking about hitting people that that's not appropriate. And he's like, he's like, not talking to me, not happy. Um, and like, doesn't he, he's like completely in, it didn't even occur to him that he was wrong for talking about assaulting another child in front of a teacher and they just wanted to know who I was. And I was like, I, I work here. Um, like I'm a, like, yeah. I don't even, I don't know what I told them, but, um, they're both just swearing at me. Um, and what happened is the next week this gets reported and I have the, mm. the vice principal of the school, mm. um, brings me into her office and she didn't reprimand me, but like very like, was kind of like told me that this student had told her that I was screaming at her and got in her face. Um, but you know, uh, fortunately there were cameras in the hallway, which showed me standing there calmly with my arms crossed and talking sternly to her because that's all I did. Um, which she perceived as me getting in her face and screaming, which is of course not what I did. Um, but I was, I, I was basically told that I was in the wrong in this situation. I don't know how I should have handled it. Otherwise, she didn't really give me a clear answer. But this is something that I've experienced from a lot. I've heard from a lot of other teachers is that they don't have the tools to even discipline kids anymore, even though that's kind of all they're there for at this point. Actually, I talked to a principal in the Midwest, and that's all I can say right now. But mm-hmm. he was a principal in the Midwest who did not want to be a principal anymore. And he was taking steps in his life to change that, which is why he 
was able to talk to me. And he mm-hmm. said that exact thing. It's like, we don't have the tools to, um, you know, discipline the kids. Right. And the thing I wonder, honestly, like, again, not a conspiracy theorist on this end of the microphone. That's either a mistake or a plan. Right. Like it's yeah. one of the two. It has to be. I mean, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good for anybody. Yeah, right. Because the, the go thing ahead. That I, the thing that I see as an adult, you know, and I get to interact with all these businesses all over the place. Um, this is going to fuel work from home. I'm telling you right now, this is going to fuel work from home because you're going to get people that have never had to be disciplined at all they get into the workforce and they do all kinds of problematic behavior with all kinds of people mm-hmm. and people aren't going to put up with that no they're not but it, it's it's it, it works differently no. now you know it's just no it's for real <sighs> yeah yeah and you know th- there's a huge crisis in military recruitment right now mm-hmm. um and i i a lot of these, like a lot of these kids I see in that I taught in high school, I'm like, I don't know how any of you would, would join the military. And some of them do, but like, I have friends who are recruiters right now and they, they can't get kids to join. Um, COVID really was a big part of this, but the changes that occurred during and right before COVID just, Mm. I, long-term, I don't see how we survive as a culture and as a country. It just, when the, well, the children coming out of schools are are acting like this and they're being taught that this is this is okay and you know we have rising crime especially violent crime in this country again which we haven't seen since uh crime started going down in the late 1980s early 1990s like where where does it end what does it lead to i think the thing we're gonna have to do is and we're just look if the Department of Education is coming up with things like don't discipline the children or don't do it, you know, the way, you know, whatever. And, you know, please don't teach the kids history or <laughs> just teach the test or whatever. Look, I took a standardized test in high school. I just told you that story. Mm-hmm. So you're either going to have to put the history back on the test or, you know, because history can't go the way of, of, of Latin. Like right. you can't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I get how nobody speaks Latin anymore. And so who cares? But we all have a past. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, okay. So I actually have something to say. So the Latin, there's something in our society, which is mm-hmm. in our society that is not in other societies. And I think that these things are connected. You know, we don't teach Latin anymore. We up until the 20th century, you know, probably or even the mid 20th century, they students had been learning Latin for thousands of years in mm-hmm. in schools in the West. Um, and there's and history in the same way. They, there seems to be an absolute disrespect and disregard for anything that's old in our society. And that even goes for mm-hmm. people because Uh, Mm -hmm. In the past, in a lot of other cultures, you look at indigenous cultures, you look at other cultures still today, 
you know, mm-hmm. they revere their elders. In America, we forget our elders and we put them in shoeboxes to be abused by uh, by people at, at huge mm-hmm. rates in these uh, in these old people's mm-hmm. homes. Um, and those things are connected. I think there's there's a pervasive cultural. Um, it's a pervasive part of our our culture that we don't respect the, the past. past. We don't respect things that are old, which are viewed as the past. And I think part of that is is just anything that isn't producing wealth for capitalism isn't necessarily important to a culture based on capitalism. Mm-hmm. But I think it's there's more to it than that as well. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot because like Europe is, is super capitalist about like things not related to healthcare. They're like super capitalist. Yeah. But yeah. it's like the way I say it is like, we're so in a hurry to get to the future. We think we can drop the past and yeah. you just can't. No, at least it's, I mean, it's not good if you do. Well, I mean, you, not only is it not good, but okay, even if you just decide to ignore the past, like let's all ignore it. Something there's a there's a classmate of mine that um, has been on my show quite a bit. His name is King Williams, or he goes by King Williams, mm-hmm. and he says um, history doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Right, I've heard that, and there's a lot of stuff that you can look at and be like, okay, this is like that, but it looks different. There's a fresh coat of paint, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. there's a new coat of paint on it, you know, but it's like that. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) sorry. This is not a very, um, no, not a very upbeat, you know, conversation. This is going to be a pretty, a pretty dim episode. Not as dim as some of them. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no. Um, so what do you think needs to, how do, how do we fix it? Like, give me a concrete, what you would do solution. God. I mean, so, so much of like, you can create a perfect solution, but the problem is, is getting that perfect solution through the uh, social constructs in uh, these giant educational companies that have so much power, uh, the lobbyists that work for them, um, the industry of education in like uh, the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education. There's so many things to to fight to fight through. So like you can say a magic solution, but at the same time, like a magic solution that isn't able to uh, that isn't able to cut through all of the red tape that that exists that that has exist that exists in the structure of power that we have. It's it's just useless. So the best thing that I I think right now um, is is school choice. Um, school mm-hmm. choice being you know vouchers that allow people to use the tax dollars. Um, teachers love to attack this as like oh it's 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 the um, it's public funding, but what is public funding? It's taxpayer money. That's what it is. It doesn't belong to the government. Yeah. It belongs to the taxpayer. Um, if if people are allowed to, you know, it's weird to say that capitalist ideas are the way to fix something that was caused through the problem of capitalism, but 
um, that was created through the problem of, of capitalism, which is what this public education system that we currently have is created through. Mm-hmm. But I think that using the free market, if public schools have something to compete with, if the end product that they are that they are producing, which is uh, children's education, if they have people to compete with, if they know that they will lose the funding that of students, if students choose to go to other schools that exist, then public schools will become better. And those other schools that students are are choosing to go to, um, and their parents are choosing to go to, they can, you know, th- they are producing something that the parents want, and. In that case, they probably know better than um, than just the blanket one way to go public school system because you know the public school system didn't really work for me. I did okay, but like it definitely wasn't best for me as an individual. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why people are against are against the idea that people should be allowed to choose how their children are educated, even if they can't afford to pay their exorbitant property taxes and a, a private school education. You know what I mean? I think, I think the root, because I get what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. And I, but I think the idea is, at least on that side of the aisle, not from the activists or from the, like the lobbyists or you know the politicians, but the actual humans, is the idea is you know. We did it with the Great Society. We did it with, you know, the the Great Depression, you know, the New Deal. But my attitude is like, that's not what Congress does. And like, like we talked, I don't know if it was off air or, or on air. We talked about the, the Silicon Valley uh, bank bailout. Right. Not bailout, but the, it's like you're, you're bailing the customers out, not the, the, the stockholders of the bank. Yeah. As good or well-intentioned as that might be, it's also going to set up a situation where now you're going to have banks, oh, yeah, we can even do venture capital and the government will ride to the rescue. Right. I mean, that's where they're already at, right? Like 2008 (laughs) proved that they would bail out the banks and they created this incentive where these organizations that they let grow too large because they didn't use um, antitrust antitrust. Mm -hmm. So actually, this is funny. Very early on in this podcast, you you uh, said that you thought you were more um, more to the left than I am, and and I I get why you say that. the The thing is that I am very much economically a left wing person, but I largely talk about social issues on the right. So I, I am very economically left, um, which is why I'm you know talking about yeah. employing antitrust um, suits and why I I, uh, I have a lot of the economic views that I have. But I think there. I mean, honestly, like, you know, when I was a early on, I, I ended up covering what we now call the, the Great Recession of 2008, mm-hmm. way before 2008. And one of the things that struck me early, early on was when I showed up to the scene of the car crash, the car crash had happened a couple of years before and nobody was there yet. Yeah. Except, you know, the, it's like, imagine a car crash had happened two years before you came along and nobody right. showed up. And then you said, Hey, wait, this is a car crash. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's where we are right now. I mean, you know, re- reverse I mean, repos from the banks are over almost around 2 billion right now. This is going to trillion. 
I don't know if Silicon Valley itself is going to come into the economy, but something's going to happen. I mean, look, there, the world doesn't need another Twitter clone. The world, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? It's... It, it, <laughs> These banks were allowed to continue being too large and like the problem just continued. You know, they, they repealed Glass-Steagall, mm-hmm. they repealed other mm-hmm. banking laws, and they didn't punish people that uh, that took these illegal actions in 2008. And now here we are in 2022. And literally, as we are speaking, we are dealing with another similar situation down to Jim Cramer a day before a bank collapses or a few days before Mm -hmm. telling you to buy the stock, just like he did with Bear Stearns in 2008. Um, It's like a play by play replay. And I, I, it's insane. It's like, I'm watching the big short, the movie again. I don't like to shout out a big podcast on my little podcast, but (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to break my own little rule. Yeah. There's a, there's a podcast called the daily put up by the New York times. Mm-hmm. Yesterday or the day before, they put out like a thirty-minute little thing on the the Silicon Valley b- Bank um, implosion. Yeah. If you don't listen to another podcast other than mine, listen to the first half of that podcast because she goes into like she goes, she says like this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is what happened this is what led to this and the whole time i'm just like that i'm not a financial guy but that sounds stupid yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds really dumb yeah it's i mean it's not dumb for the people involved in it who have no incentive not to do it you know they, they <laughs> um but it's dumb exactly. for everyone else no right it's dumb for the system as a whole it's just these people know they're not going to get in trouble they, they know that they're protected um and, so why not know, right I don't know, like, I I just think, um, I say this on Twitter a lot. Like, I say, like, we're going to enter a dark age if we're not already there. Yeah. Like, and I think, like, when you look at the future workers of America that, that don't have incentive to behave, they're not being given... I told that to a friend of mine. He said, what's the biggest difference between when we were in high school and now? And I said, when we were in high school, like, yeah, there were discipline problems for sure. But you don't, you had an incentive to behave. Now, if you truly don't want to behave, there's no incentive to behave. Right. Because if you, if your parent comes in, they, right. they are more likely to you know, yell at the teacher and the teacher doesn't, doesn't want to deal with it because they're not going to be backed up by the administration. Who's not going to be backed up by the school board. Um, there really is something to be said about the, uh, participation trophy generation, which is my generation, but you know, and and the ones after it are worse there. It's, it's, uh, and it's, you know, it's not their fault. It's the way they were raised, but there's something it's, it's associated with a complete decline in almost any metric of uh trust in our government of um yeah uh, we're in trouble (laughs) i I think i think i think we're in trouble the heart of the the we want to you know when you really talk to these people like the the people that want school choice that's really what they're saying yeah you know Mm -hmm. it's uh 
I, I, I don't know where to go from here, but it's, uh, it's, it's bad. It's, it's worse than people probably think in the schools. I was kind of amazed at how bad it was, um, going through it. Sam, how Mm -hmm. bad was it? (laughs) How bad was it? It was, um, you know, it was, what else can I say about it? That was bad. Oh, you know what? Remember that I'm ready to not say for work and you're not, you know, I've had to talk to teachers that had to be anonymous. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, there's a number of different things. I, I witnessed, um, what have I, what have I witnessed? Oh, I mean, some of the more serious stuff. I, I made a report of a teacher who was, um, who was acting inappropriately with, uh, and the exact words that he used were violently fuck an 18 year old girl. And this was a over 30 year old high school teacher. Um, I don't know if this girl, I don't think she was one of his students, but she was a high school age girl. Um, and this was, was she in the high school or was she? No, not that I know of, but she was the same age as those students, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was a high school is a high school science teacher. And I made a report about that Mm. to my university, um, who had given him his degree. Um, I made a report about it with evidence of this. And it was, uh, it was ignored. It was swept under the rug, um, essentially because, you know, there wasn't enough there, but also the implicit thing that was sort of not said to me is that they need to protect the, uh, the reputation of, of the university. I went to, Oh, right. I went to the university of Connecticut. Um, Mm -hmm. and gosh, maybe, maybe I'd get in trouble if I, uh, somebody heard this, but, um, I don't, I don't know if the university of Connecticut would come after me, but yeah, they they did that. Um, in the University of Connecticut, I'm, I'm saying that because it's it's one of the most prestigious education schools in the country. Uh, the current Secretary of uh, Education is uh, the Federal Secretary of, of Education is from. He graduated from the University of Connecticut. Um, mm-hmm. I witnessed other things like um, there was a transgender student that I had. Um, and you know, I, I called this transgender student by their preferred pronouns, of course, as I always do to anybody who I will call anybody by their preferred name or pronouns. I don't call anybody anything they don't want to be called. Mm -hmm. But what I later found out was that the school was hiding the trans identity from, uh, the father of this child, um, Mm. which I thought was completely inappropriate and it's part of you, you know, keeping secrets with students or, or children when you're not their parent. I mean, that, that's, that is a textbook part of sexual grooming. Um, that gets into a legal, I would think, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. <laughs> th- this, this actually, I personally experienced this two yeah. or three years ago when I was yeah. in there, but today it's actually become quite a topic of conversation. Mm. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of students just, so th- this student that was transgender, like, and another student I had that had autism, they were, uh, they, I felt like they were thrust aside by this system. Mm-hmm. Um, they were being passed through these classes, but they didn't really get any work done. They didn't learn. They weren't disciplined. They weren't, nobody had any sort of standards for them. It just seemed like people wanted to forget 
these kids and pass them through. But I, I, I didn't want to do that because I was so concerned about both this transgender student and I'm not naming them because it's, you're not allowed to. Um, and the autistic student, I, I cared deeply about making sure that these students are prepared for the real world, but I don't know what they're going to do when they're 18, when they, they can't complete simple assignments. And it's not that this student, especially the autistic one, it's not that either of them were, you know, it's not that they weren't capable enough. Mm. It's that they were being allowed to just not do the work. They were just allowed to not do the work. And it seemed like it was because they just didn't want to deal with the classroom disruption that would result from trying to make them do the work. And at at the Mm. other end, you have like students. I had a really smart kid. This one was in an inner city school, actually at at a different school, Mm. really, really smart sixth grader. And Mm. He was uh, a, a black sixth grader, and this this is important because often it's it's black students and other poor students and students with things like autism that are treated in this way. You know, I'm sure you've heard of the um, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yep. Right. So this affects a lot of black students and a lot of students that have something else that the mostly white and upper middle class teachers that are teaching them will view as something that. Uh, that lowers their ability. I remember this kid, um, you know, trying to get him to do work and I got him like, I sat him down. We had like, um, he would, he wasn't doing his work. I got a little stern with him. He listened to me. He started doing his work. He was doing his work fine. He was a bright kid really was. And eventually Mm -hmm. he gets called out of the classroom to go to uh, the guidance counselor's office to take a test. Oh boy. And this was in the class. And as he's leaving the classroom, Mm -hmm. he brags to everyone else in the classroom. I'm going to Mrs. Whatever to get the answers. And he's all happy because he's going to go get the answers to the test because these kids, they go to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor gives them the answers to the test. They don't try to guide them at all. They don't ask them what they know. They just straight up give them the answers. And that's how they deal with it in a lot of situations. And that's anecdotal. But I think that there's like population levels that um, that decide this. Um, and one more example. That. Yeah. Unless you have something, I got one more example. I mean, no, go ahead. Yeah. So I was teaching at, mm-hmm. uh, at, an, at another school. There was a school for troubled kids. I I don't remember what its exact name was, but I, um, this was a school that was like in the same district as the, um, as the suburban school. So the students in this classroom, the students in the school, the, they had like security guards at this school. The security guards were former prison guards. Security guards were former prison guards. It's what? That's not a good a good situation right there. No, absolutely not. So they are prison guards. They're former retired prison guards. Uh-huh. Um, really nice guys, but retired prison guards. All the students in this school are, they're either, they have some sort of intellectual need or they have some sort of behavioral problem. Obviously, this is a disproportionately uh, minority school. Um, mm-hmm. the, all the students in my class, uh, there was one white kid who was an orphan. Um, and there was, uh, three black kids, one of which, at least one of which was involved in, um, in gangs. Okay. And in this school, I, I witnessed the doors lock, the doors lock on each of these classrooms. 
and they are they're like they only unlock when the bell goes off. I witnessed one of these security guards tell a student, "Hey, get back in the cell." He literally said the word "cell," and after that, he's like, "No, classroom, classroom, get back in the class." Oh, I always do that. He was so used to being a prison guard that he's literally telling these kids, "Get back in the cell." And you know, mm. maybe he was right that it was a cell, but you shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, yeah. like, yeah, he just, he, he, he slipped up and he said that on accident. He didn't mean to say sell, mm. but that's what he said. And, and that's what it felt like. And that's what it felt like these students were being prepared for. And the teacher that I was talking to at that school told me about how some of his former students who were on the edge of like this more violent uh, city, uh, I'm not going to name it because that would give away where this school is, but he told me about his former students being killed in gang violence. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's nothing being done for that besides them being sent into a high school, which seems like it was preparing them for prison. Because it was like people say that public schools are prison, but this public school really was like a prison. And it was literally run by prison guards. I mean, you know, it's like the more I do these anonymous teacher, I mean, first of all, and this is something I want to say, I want to get your take on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to people that were like fleeing oppressive governments, like yes. legitimately oppressive governments. I've talked to people that talked to me. I talked to people who were helping defend their family from Russian soldiers. Oof. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. I have never faced the static that I face from anybody except from like, hey, I'd like to talk to you anonymously about being a teacher on my podcast. Boy, I get a lot of static from that. Really? <laughs> from, yeah. From like, who? Just people. They're like, no, I can't because, you know, just like teacher people, like people, yeah. teachers. And yeah, they're scared. Of course they're, they're scared. scared. If I still worked in that industry, I'd be scared. I wouldn't be doing this. They're terrified. And it's just, and I want, like, if you were to be, if this were an anonymous show, I wouldn't even, I'd set, try to set it up where I wouldn't even know your name, or I certainly wouldn't say your name right, on the air. And I deliberately make it to where I don't want you to tell me where you teach, so I don't even know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, because to me, the story is what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I don't care, like, if you're libertarian or Republican, Democrat, socialist, I don't care. Yeah. This is important. This is the most important. These shows are the most important shows that I do. I yeah. think. I, I, yeah. Why? I mean, how do we get out of, how do we, <laughs> we've got to get out of this cycle somehow. I, because if we don't, you know. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I, I think that there are a lot of things that are going on in the world right now and in the country right now that require a major, um, a major reform of uh, the United States. And, you know, it would be an entire another episode to talk about how 
states and political entities go into, um, you know, times of reform and, and times of destruction and then, you know, reforming into something new. But um, I, I, I firmly believe that in, in all aspects of American culture and American life, there needs to be some sort of reformation that changes, uh, that, that is a paradigm shift in, in almost all aspects of life that leads us to a culture and a society that is more in line with, um, with dealing with our human environment that we're now in. Um, because mm-hmm. everything is different. Everything right now, all of, all of our experiences with social media, with the internet, with the knowledge that we have, with the, the current uh, geopolitical situation that we're in, everything is different than it was 70 years ago. And it's different in a way, in more different ways than it ever has been before. And there needs to be changes to, to make this work for more people. Or what's going to happen is yeah. something like what happened to the Russian Empire when the Russian Empire fell to the Soviets because the Russian Empire no longer was serving the people. They were treating the people badly and that political institution was incapable of reforming itself enough. So it was essentially destroyed and something new was created and millions and millions of people died as a result. There's an apocryphal story that takes place in Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. The apocryphal story is that people, like even just idea people, like people with ideas, people with thoughts, would look up and they'd see the the aqueducts the Romans built and they would think surely a giant built that because no human could build that. Right. Right. And it's becoming apparent to people that study the Ottoman empire, for example, that Suleiman the Magnificent had a better idea about genetics than anybody up until Gregor Mendel. Really? Yeah. Huh. It doesn't surprise me that no, much, it, but I've never heard that. And I can tell you off air, like how that might've come into light. Yeah. But it's like, so this idea that society just continues to progress isn't necessarily the case. No, 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 no. Of course not. Exactly. Yeah. And to me, like if you've got, if you've already got people in their thirties that don't know, for example, that World War II happened when they have grandparents that fought in World War II. Yeah. That, to me, is just... That's a scary thought. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really scary thought. It is. <laughs> it's also... I mean, what I've seen recently, regardless of what you think of it, I mean, the the calls for for war right now, the, the calls for essentially what would put us into World War III are just scaring the shit out of me. Okay. It doesn't seem like people are are understanding what a giant conventional war like that would entail and the, and the, the suffering stakes, that it would bring. What the stakes are yeah. or just whatever. And I mean, there's a here's something I want to ask you and mm-hmm. then we can do whatever, but. There's a quote that I recently ran across from um, Carl Sagan. Mm -hmm. And the quote was that he was worried about his grandchildren, America in his grandchildren's time. Yeah. Because like our society was becoming too complex for average people. Yeah. What do you think of that? Do you think our society is becoming too complex for average people? I don't. I don't know about too complex for average people. 
you know, I, I think that the society itself is extraordinarily complex to the point where no single person can truly understand everything inside of it. But I think that that was true of other social organizations, political organizations of the past. Um, I think that what, what the problem is, is if people can't make sense of in a reasonable way, which leads them to live their life in a, in a reasonable way of what they interact with on a daily basis. And that's kind of what I see with social media. Exactly. People don't seem capable of handling it. And, you know, I'm not even myself included. All right, Sam. Um, I'm going to, do you have any, th- oh, let's shout out your amazing podcast. Yeah. So once again, illegitimate scholar, I'm going to, I'm going to send Ben the, uh, mm. the, the link, uh, illegitimate scholar on all podcast platforms, illegitimate scholar on YouTube and illegitimate scholar, ill underscore scholar on Twitter. That's mainly mm. what I'm on. Yeah. And, um, I really like your, your, you started this deep dive in education on your own feed. I was like, Oh God, I gotta get him on. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, Appreciate you having me on. I had a great time. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, hang on the line, please. Mm-hmm.